Well, for the third or fourth straight day, I woke up this morning and I had no idea what day of the week it was. <laughs> I mean, there is a 60% chance that, that maybe two or three months from now, I'm going to have a full-blown Amish beard. I mean, for crying out loud, I am wearing a t-shirt that has a wiener dog playing a saxophone. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> So I would like to continue where we left off last week, and I just want to really discuss, I mean, how can we as Christians have peace in a time and in an atmosphere, in an environment of hysteria? And so that is what I would like to continue on this week as well as in the weeks which are ahead. And I think every one of us knows what this is all about by now. Where something, I mean, unforgettable happens in the world. And we lose track of the amount of times that we say, I mean, literally out loud, I can't believe that this is happening. And we just keep waking up and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's not going away. And it's like, I can't believe that this is actually happening right now. I think there's a lot of people who are now at the point where it feels like we are risking our lives driving to work, going out to the mailbox even, going to the grocery store. Now, all of a sudden, these, these, these once everyday menial mundane tasks now give us a twinge of nausea deep in our stomach. And if our emotions had words, it would be, I'm scared. And then we watch the news and we listen to the radio and, and all that we, we are hearing about are, are all these people who are dying in droves. Our economy is getting very bad. People are losing their jobs. All of that is going on, but... What we saw last week, what we experienced last week in the book of Habakkuk is, is that even in an atmosphere of anxiety, there is this otherworldly peace that is waiting for us to experience and to embrace. And so that is what I want to meditate on yet again here this morning. And you know, a lot of times as we open up God's word, I think how what we tend to gravitate towards is God rescuing his people in dramatic fashion at the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea, as we all know. It is King David standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with Goliath. And with God's power, through his faith, Goliath comes tumbling down. It's Elijah standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with just hundreds of prophets of this false god. God answers him in dramatic fashion. That is what we gravitate towards. And rightfully so. And yet, the Red Sea is not the norm. I mean, the Red Sea is absolutely there. As we see Goliath tumbling down, that is absolutely there. And yet that is not everyday life as the people of God. But rather, what everyday life is, is what? It is struggling. It is wondering, is this struggle ever going to come to an end? I mean, sometimes David absolutely gets demolished and pulverized by Goliath. Sometimes God's people wake up 
And the world that they're waking up to is no longer this utopian musical, but, but actually now what God's people are waking up to is a living hell. And our message here this morning is going to be in Daniel. And so it's the year 586 B.C. And Jerusalem has just been captured. Jerusalem has fallen. But the temple is destroyed. And all of those who, whose lives are spared are now taken captive. And they now all of a sudden have to very likely spend the rest of their lives in a foreign land as slaves once again. And I can guarantee you that what was going through every single Hebrew mind as all of this goes down is, I can't believe that this just happened. I cannot believe. I mean, we are God's people. God rescued us from, from hundreds and hundreds of years of slavery only to bring us into our promised land that he promised us. And now, I mean, we were in the promised land. And yet now, just like that, that promised land has been snatched out of our hands, and now we are once again slaves to an outside nation. Now, what we know about Babylon is that the king over that nation in those days was King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar ruled with an iron fist. And yet, what is so interesting, though, in the book of Daniel, though, is even though he is oppressing God's nation, there are a select handful of people out of Judah who he does look to in a respectful manner. And, and among three of those are three young Hebrews whose names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as, as the names that, that he later on had assigned to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they are very wise, very intelligent beyond their, their youth. And he gives them enormous responsibilities in his Babylonian kingdom. Now, something else that we know about King Nebuchadnezzar is that he was an absolute egomaniac because eventually he builds a 90-foot golden statue of himself, by the way. And there is an edict that is legislated that, that whenever you hear the music that you are to immediately genuflect and to bow down and worship of me, of my golden statue. And so this very quickly becomes a component of, of everyday civic life there. And every single day, all these people hear the music and they do just exactly that as they fall down and they worship this um, idol and the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. That is, except for, for um, those three individuals who I mentioned a moment ago. And so as it pertains to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is what their situation is. What is on their mind day and night is that our country has just been utterly ravaged and destroyed. There are loved ones who were very dear to us who were, who were killed and murdered as all of that happened. We are living in a foreign land, and it's very likely, it's not outside the realm of possibility that we're going to die in this foreign nation. And yet now to add insult to, to all of that injury now, if we do not fall down and worship this golden statue today or tomorrow or in the days ahead, then 
we are going to be going inside that furnace. And so as they continue to resist this and they do not fall down and worship that golden statue, eventually a complaint reaches the ears of King Nebuchadnezzar. And men who come from another nation of Chaldea come in and say, hey, listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not worshiping you. They were defying you. And then in chapter 3 in the book of Daniel, starting at verse 14, he speaks to these three young Hebrews and he says, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and, and all these other instruments, and he says, if you are ready to fall down and to worship the image that I have made well and good, and then chilling words where he says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And yet then comes a famous re reaction to this in verse 16, as it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And yet what I especially want to emphasize, though, is in verse 18. Where they say, but even if, even if he does not rescue us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And I mean, how powerful is that? Even if God does not rescue us. Even if we do have to go inside your fiery furnace and to literally singe to death, even if this is where our story on earth comes to an end, we are eternal beings who worship and who belong to an eternal God. And so even if you want to throw us inside that furnace and we die, so be it. We're not going to be worshiping you today, tomorrow, or at any point in our lives for that matter. And enraged, King Nebuchadnezzar, as we all know, he gives orders for them to be thrown into the furnace. He gives orders to his men and to his commanders that, that listen, I want you to heat up my, my furnace seven times what is the normal heat. And it looks like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are done with now. And yet the incredible thing about the history of God's people is that these are the times when God and God's people are at their absolute best. Times where it seems absolutely impossible, where, where it seems like every single option that we're confronted with is a lose-lose or is a consequence-consequence. We, you know, our, our God loves to up the ante and just to flex how powerful he is in these situations. We've seen him in scripture do this with water before. Where in the book of Joshua, God, God gives orders for Joshua to lead his people across the Jordan River. But God waits until it is at flood stage. Which, which makes it feel like it's even more impossible. But, but God, once again, parts water for his people. 
It happens, as I mentioned a moment ago in the days of Elijah, where, where God and, and just hundreds of these prophets of Baal are going to see which God is going to answer with, with fire. And when it comes around to Elijah, Elijah gives, gives clear instruction. I want you to create an altar. And I want a trench there. And, and he just drenches it with, with all this water. He says, do it again. And they drench it with even more water. He says a third time, drench it with even more water. I mean, it's just, just overflowing water there on that altar. God answers with fire still, nevertheless. And now in the book here, um, in chapter 3, in Daniel, God is going to respond in this way once again as it pertains to fire. And so King Nebuchadnezzar orders that it be heated seven times more fervently than it ordinarily is. And I mean, it is so overheated inside that furnace that, that his own men, many of his own men, are literally singed to death inside that furnace. And yet now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go inside that furnace. I mean, just, just imagine how scary that had to have been. And yet we have words that just give me chills every time that I read them. Where it says in chapter 3, and there in the latter part of verse 24, what, what King Nebuchadnezzar says as he looks at them and they're inside that furnace is, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? He says, but I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, a lot of people say that that is Jesus Christ before he came into the world. A lot of other people say it's an angel, but, but regardless, they are not alone inside that fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar is just... He is just God-smacked as they, they come out of that, that fiery furnace unsinged. And now of all people, wicked King Nebuchadnezzar is now praising God as loud as any gospel preacher. There is no other God who is able to rescue or to deliver like that. And it reminds me so much of what we read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. As what God says to his people is, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. He says in verse 4, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. And what I find so interesting about fire in scripture is, is how on occasion it is used as a metaphor or, or as an illustration of a spiritual maturity God's people undergo after they have, have withstood all of these scary situations, all of the trauma, all of these, these times and situations that make us feel the way that we are all feeling right now lately and have emerged out of all of those, those flames with a faith and with a joy and with, with a confidence in the power of God that simply could not be destroyed. Peter writes to a group of, of suffering and persecuted Christians later on in his life, and, and what he writes to them in 1 Peter chapter 1 is, he says, If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, even though it perishes when it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, notice, and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think another positive component that, that we can really capture right now as we are housebound is we look at all of these people of God living in, in this ancient world. And eventually what their mindset had become as a result of, of all of these situations is that today could be it. This is very likely my last day on the earth because it just changes so quickly. And all of this could just come to an end at any moment in time. As we see in the days of the first century church, what their, their mindset oftentimes was is that, is that Jesus is going to come at any moment for us. He's going to return. And so let's live in such a way that he finds faith upon the earth in our lives. And I think one of the most positive and necessary things that, that we can emerge from this particular fire with is that we are being distanced further and further away from a reliance of American comfort and luxury in this life. That we are getting further and further away so that we will not become too attached to this cesspool of sorrow and darkness that we call the world that we welcome him to actually transition us closer and closer and near and near into this whole new world of, of what now our, our everyday mindset is, is that today could be it. Where at any moment in time, life as we have known it in this world could just come to an end like that. And so let us live in such a way that he finds faith upon the face of the earth in me. I really believe that we will get through this fire in time. And yet if there's anything that, that we've learned this morning and that we have gained from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it is exactly what we saw last week in the days of Habakkuk, is that even if, even if this nightmare continues for another eight months, that even if our country never economically looks the same ever again in its aftermath, even if I catch this thing, and even if I go down as a result of it, even then, if, if all of that were to actually happen, we are still in the same situation as we were three years ago, is that we are eternal souls, safely and securely forevermore in the hands of an eternal God those whose, whose life is in Jesus Christ and those whose life is Jesus Christ. And what gives me so much comfort and peace in this time is that all of those other things I mentioned a moment ago about our economy and about health, those really are not the worst case scenario for us. But really, when we really stop and think about it, there is only one worst case scenario in this world. And that is God's grace for us expiring and the God of heaven choosing that, that now all of a sudden I'm just going to abandon my people forevermore. God has promised us that I will never leave you or forsake you. And so as we once again pass through the fire, let us relinquish all worry, all control, 
and let us do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Our God is able to rescue us and to deliver us from anything. And yet, even if he does not rescue us from this, he long ago has already rescued us from something that was far more vicious and far more terrifying. When you pass through the water.